Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. G'day, Mike Hussey here, but you can call me Mr. Supercoach. KFC Supercoach BBL is back and there's 25 grand up for grabs. So what are you waiting for? Play today at Supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005. In there to tell him exactly where it is. Now he kicks to the front of the goal square. Up high there was Somerville. And the ball spills over for a boundary throw. And in the right forward pocket for the Bombers, they lead by that bare margin, 20 points. But uh, in the context, hello, we might really have a... There's now some, I guess, some safety lights pointing over the ground in front. We see the Essendon huddle with Kevin Sheedy. The St Kilda players are down with Stan Owls on the bench. And really, these are night lights, not the power of the lights and everything just went black as we think Ryan O'Connor had a free kick or perhaps a shot at goal so the margin's either 20, 26 points or he might have even kicked a point Ian Robertson. <laughs> Dear, I think it's <laughs> hilarious actually Malcolm and uh, you mentioned about people taking uh, photographs but uh, it certainly is a first as far as Waverley's concerned. It certainly was, and I tell you what, still talked about to this day. Of course, this week actually marks 25 years since the lights went out during that night match between St Kilda and Essendon at Waverley Park. It's a game still referred to in footy folklore. The man who was at the microphone for Channel 7 at the time, as you heard, is a man whose voice is synonymous with so many big events and moments throughout the game's history, mainly in the 1980s and 90s into the early 2000s as well. I speak of former Channel 7 commentator Ian Robertson, who's been kind enough to join us on the line to mark a quarter of a century since that now infamous event. How are you, Robbo? I don't say that. 25 <laughs> years on. <laughs> oh, golly. Oh, look, I'm well, Damien, and uh, you know I'm happy to join you and uh, reminisce a little bit about, uh, well, something that was uh, pretty unusual at the time. Well, I was always wanting to ask you this. What actually happened when you heard the switch eventually flick off and you realise you're off air? Did you actually keep talking? What was going through your head at the time? Do you recall? Well, I think that's what uh, the important thing was. Uh, you know, we've got viewers, and uh, don't leave them, uh, you know, to, to, to sort of uh, a pun. Don't leave them in the dark, so to speak. So keep them up to scratch with what's going on. We didn't know much, but we just had to keep talking and uh, uh, just keep it interesting for the viewers while they, were, while they were still tuned in. Did you have an inkling something was wrong? Because I think when you look at the footage back, you can see a couple of the lights fail, or were you focused on the job and then all of a sudden, boom, the lights went out? Oh, no, I think it was just uh, a surprise to everyone. I mean, uh, you know, no one expected that. Uh, they were big nights at, uh, at Waverley. You know, those night games were usually well attended, and uh, it's like now, it's, uh, you know, the football is, uh, is very keenly watched by lots and lots of viewers. Uh, in evening time slots, and that was uh, that was exactly what happened. I know it's a long time ago, but uh, that's exactly what happened then too. 
Uh, you were at the commentary box that night with Malcolm Blight and Ross Glendinning, and I think the footage is still famous today where you have Blighty, when the power goes out, as he's hosting on camera, getting his cigarette lighter out so that people could see his face yeah. on the TV coverage. Yeah. Do you remember what happened yeah. in, in that instance? And I think Ross Oakley even came into the box as well trying to explain what was going to happen next. Well, you know, that, that, that then became a bit of an issue as to uh, whether the game could continue that night. And uh, perhaps uh, I mean, no one had the, uh, uh, you know, the crystal ball. Uh, no one had any idea what, was, what had happened. Uh, slowly but surely, the information came through. And, uh, but we were, we were basically having to fill in more so than during an ad break. You know, I mean, the, the action of a football match is pretty easy, isn't it? You've got all of that unfolding in front of you, but when it's gone from the viewer, well, you have to sort of tell a story. You're, you then become a, a bit of a storyteller as to what's happening that the viewer can't see. We, could, we, 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 we weren't sort of up to scratch with too much anyway, but, uh, you know, Ross Oakley was always on the, very much on the, uh, on the job when he was the boss of the, of the AFL. But uh, anyway, it, it all worked out in the finish and... Uh, you know, it was quite funny because, uh, uh, you know, I, since I spoke to you in preparation for this, I, I did a little bit of research and yeah. uh, I believe James Heard didn't play. You know, my re- recollections was James Heard didn't play because he was, oh, I think he was suffering from a bit of an injury and um, he was able to play in the in the recommencement of the game. On the Tuesday so that, night. That, that, well, that sounds a bit ridiculous, doesn't it? You know, if you pick a team and... And then you chop it off uh, because of the because of the incident. But uh, anyway, uh, he played and Essendon won, and you know Bob's your uncle. The, the result was the result. When the lights first went out, was it chaotic? Because as you would know, working in television yeah. at the time, was there was a director that talks in your earpiece or, or through the microphone, yeah, exactly. the, the cans. Yeah. Were they like, well, gee, what do we do? Was it all chaotic and everything? Or you, I uh, suppose you stayed nice and calm on air. Oh look, no doubt. I mean, it, how would you be if you were sitting in the, in, you know, in the bo- in the box downstairs trying to uh, put pictures onto the screen of a, of, of all the viewers in their lounge rooms? And uh, it, yeah, of course it does. It, it it was a um, it was just an unusual incident, never before. It was it, like we, we had a bit of a chuckle. I mean, we weren't responsible. We were the commentators, <laughs> but the man putting the pictures to the television screen. Um, he has to be Joe Cool completely, and work it out and keep us talking. And uh, you know, it, it wasn't an easy job, I would say. A very difficult time for, well, for all in sundry. But uh, anyway, we got through it. It was wasn't it quite interesting watching. It was like anarchy really when the when the crowd got yes. got a bit loose on the ground, and uh, you know they started uh, ransacking goalposts and what have you. And it was like as if they didn't care less about what whatever was happening. It was. There was no football going on, so we might as well have a bit of fun. Well, it was almost a riot on the ground. They were lighting fires. Yeah. They tore the goalposts down. Did you get out of the ground? Yeah. Well, obviously, you got out of the ground alive, but was it difficult yeah. trying to find your car in the very dark car park at Waverley? Oh, not really. I mean, I think by uh, by the time we got going, you know, it it, 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 it settled down a little bit. You know, but uh, at the time when, when it was all happening on the football ground, uh, where the light was very, very poor, uh, well, you, you wouldn't want to be down there, I don't think, because anything could have happened. But uh, fortunately, we've got, we've, most people got out unscathed. I haven't heard of any uh, any injuries or any beltings or any uh, you know any, any anything happening to anybody 
it shouldn't have happened. So uh, it was a, it was just a stupid night, and uh, <laughs> everything everybody got out of it. Well, everybody got out of it scot free, physically, and uh, there wasn't too much damage done to the football uh, circumstances. We're speaking with former Channel 7 commentator Ian Robertson. You called many games across your illustrious career, and of course you played for Carlton and Footscray back in the 60s and 70s as well. Does that night rank as the most bizarre thing you've ever seen in your time in football? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah you, would, you would have to say. I mean, uh, one night we were out there and uh, the scoreboard caught on fire. Yeah, the G, the MCG. Richmond v Carlton, round 22 of 99. You were there with Sandy that night, I reckon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, yeah, that's another one. But uh, look, you, look, the poor people who try to organise these things, it's not so bad. You put a football match on in the daytime, there's not, not a lot of drama, is there? You know, you've got to allow people in. Under these circumstances today, there's a lot of drama with COVID and what have you. But in the days, that it, uh, it was pretty straightforward stuff. The football match in the daytime, no drama. But as soon as you started playing big matches in the evening, well, of course, you were risking uh, some sort of occurrence that might have disrupted everything, and that's what happened. You know, that was the, the, the incident at Waverley and the incident where the scoreboard caught on fire. I mean, uh, you just hope that no one gets hurt. That's right, and it was very serious at the time when the scoreboard did catch yeah. on fire. Uh, you... Yeah called matches in a very interesting period in the game's history where we had the transition from what was essentially a suburban game in Victoria in the VFL to the AFL, the national competition beast that it is today. Uh, Waverley in itself was probably a victim in a way of the changing of the times. Did you enjoy calling games out there? Where did it rank? Because you would have had some interesting stories, I'm sure, calling at some of those old suburban grounds as well. Oh, yeah. Look, it was great to go to Collingwood. It was great to go to Footscray. It was great to go to Geelong. We still go to Geelong. Um, I mean, uh, but this is the, the introduction of the national competition. Uh, try and uh, all of those grounds took a lot of uh, upkeep, financial upkeep. So eventually, uh, you know, places like Hawthorne and Princess Park and Victoria Park all went by the wayside. But uh, no, we had some great times. Just to, uh, actually, I can just relate a story. Yeah. I was working with Drew Morford. That was before the Channel 7 days. I did work with Drew when he and Bernie Quinlan and I both joined, all joined 7. I think it was at the end of 1987 or 88. When, when Fairfax had the football like the, and they decided to bow out and the AFL had no one to cover it and they took the ABC pictures. Yep. And we, we joined. Anyway, cut a long story short, uh, we, we'd get invited to the President's lunch and Bernie and I were wet behind the ears but Drew knew what was going on and they said uh, would you like a bottle of red wine for your lunch <laughs> we were invited to the president's lunch and Bernie and I looked at each other as if to say oh no we can't do that and Drew said have a glass of red wine it'll do you the world of good it'll help you relax and Bernie and I finished up with, I think we had it out of one bottle we might have had a glass and a little bit each but it was taboo you know we were trying to behave ourselves and make sure no one had any reason for us to, to say that we'd done something wrong. But uh, Drew, being the man he was, did, I don't know whether you knew him, but uh, yeah. he was a character, Drew Morford, a real real character. And he, it, it helped us relax in our early days working with uh, Channel 7. You know, we were toey as a Roman sandal, as the saying goes. But that couple of, couple of glasses of red wine uh, worked wonders. And Bernie and I worked together 
withdrew for oh, a year or two anyway. And then eventually Bernie, you know, as I say, Bernie and I were, and, and Drew all went to Channel 7 at the same time. So uh, it was a good, it was a good time in, well, in my life, it was a good time and, and I worked with some pretty good people. Absolutely. I was going to ask you about Drew because I remember I interviewed him once just before he passed away, sadly, of course, uh, back in 2017. And he mentioned when the rights changed over, I'm not sure if you could verify this, but when Christopher Scase owned Channel 7, when he first Mm. got the rights, the commentators used to travel to the games by limousine. Uh, I think Sandy has mentioned this before. Is that true from your perspective? Oh, I can tell you the story. I, I worked. In, I was, had a news agency in Box Hill South in Canterbury Road near Station Street. Yep. And the car pulled up outside the front to take me to the football. I said, "You're kidding!" <laughs> you know, this, this Mercedes limo turns <laughs> up and it's got one person going to the car, going, jumping in the car to go to the football at Waverley. Well, I'm not that far from Waverley in Box Hill South, and I, I couldn't believe it. I just, how good is this? <laughs> As it turned out, I mean, we were looked after. Don't worry about that. We were uh, very well looked after. The uh, uh, the trip to uh, Surface Paradise was was interesting. They used to fly the meals up, apparently from really from uh, yeah uh, Peter Rowland caterers. Wow, I'm sure they had a, they had an arrangement with Peter Rowlands to get the meals flown up from Melbourne. And and they were they were served to us at the president's lunch, and that was when Scase was involved with uh, uh, what were they the Brisbane Brisbane Bears then yeah weren't that's they? right correct and uh, oh no look there was no there was no expense spared <laughs> I mean we'd, we've come from the ABC conservatively yep. and the night that the night the launch of the of the new football at Channel Seven they had us out in what they what you'd call the green room now. And these are all the commentators, and they introduced us one by one. It was like an Academy Award uh, like presentation. Stars. Yeah, like rock stars. And we, we, like, as I said, Drew and Bernie and I have come from the ABC, where um, don't get me wrong, we were looked after there too, but not the same way the commercial television was uh, with with Scase, who, as it turned out, uh, was probably using. Uh, <laughs> Some, some unfounded wealth uh, to, to, to lavish us with uh, all, the, all, the, all the magnificent wine and food and what have you. Uh, well, who knew where it came from? Who, <laughs> who, who, did anyone know who paid for it? You know what I mean? <laughs> well, uh, I know it's interesting. You could talk and talk and talk, couldn't you, about times gone by. But uh, look, we were looked after. We had some great times. And uh, that, that game you're talking about was just another one. I can remember a game at, uh, at Footscray, and Bernie was there that day too. And uh, Footscray were going to beat Carlton, there's no doubt. And there was a big chance that Footscray would keep Carlton goalless. Yep. And Bernie was so excited, I could feel it. He was sitting beside me. <laughs> and I'm sure all he wanted to do was rid me at the minute the siren went and Carlton were goalless. And Mark Arsiri took a mark about 25 yards, 30 yards from goal. It wasn't a really long kick, Mark Arsiri. I think he played with North from memory. And he then he did. went to Carlton and he kicked a goal in the last... If I said three minutes, I'd be exaggerating. It was very close to the siren. He kicked a goal and poor Bernie, he nearly cried because he was going <laughs> to have some fun. He was going to have some awful fun with me about Carlton being held goalless by Footscray out at the Western Oval.
Oh, that is brilliant. 1991. Yeah, we had, we had, yeah, well, we had some great moments. I mean, uh, and it's like all football trips. They say whatever happens on a football trip stays on a football trip. <laughs> but uh, look, we lost one of our one of our really uh, great people today. It just just it just take up thirty seconds of your time. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, Barassi left and went to other clubs. Um, uh, you can nominate. There's a lot of people have left of their own accord and gone to other clubs. This man who's left today has been a fantastic player. Everything said that I've heard since this happened was pretty well uh, straight to the point. Great footballer, demanded plenty of himself. Uh, whether, whether he was a sensational coach or not, I don't know. But uh, he missed out on the absolute holy grail. But um, what's happened today has been a credit to uh, Nathan Buckley, and uh, he should hold his head very high. He, he's done a, a pretty good job at Collingwood, but he exited in a very professional manner. Uh, it's well said, Robbo, and you called some of his great moments as well from the time he was playing oh, for the yeah. Brisbane Bears and then through to his Collingwood days where he hit a very poor side in the late 90s and you called some of his yeah. finest performances. So he, he must be yeah, one of the highest in your regard. I don't know how long you've got, but we were set over to Adelaide to do a game on the Saturday night and we, we went over on a plane and checked into the hotel and to wait. To, to take up the time, we could do whatever we liked. And I sat and watched Port Adelaide play someone in the South Australian Football League. Yeah. And I saw him get 50, 52 kicks at about 17 years of age. That's right. That was and, and the tough, tough competition, the SANFL back then. Oh, look, he was... He was the personification of what you'd like all of your young players to turn out to be. He was very skillful, he was very fit, and he was pretty confident. He was pretty, you know, and that's half the battle. Half the battle is to say to yourself, I reckon I can handle this caper at this level. Mm. And it doesn't always work that in your favour from that point of view. There's a lot of kids play their 100 or their 80 or their 120. But the bloke who's got the, that, that just that little inkling of confidence can take himself to 220, 240, 260, and sometimes even further. You know, like a bloke like Adam Goods. Adam Goods may never have struck um, the big time as a superstar, but he worked on it. He, he, I saw him kick, uh, I think it was about 10 goals in an under-19 game at the, at the MCG. Yes. Uh, you know, one of those... Uh, um, what would you call Curtain it? Ballarat raises. Rebels, I think. Yeah, that's right. Well, Ballarat Rebels versus, you know, in, in lead up to one of the finals. And, I mean, he was a good player, but slowly but surely, he became a very confident good player. And that's the difference. You know, Skilton wouldn't have started uh, being that sort of player, but he became confident and, and, and won three Brownlow medals. Ian Stewart would have been the same, but they got that little... It's, it's an X factor, isn't it? It's something that can't be, you can't teach it. Mm. It's something that's just, uh, it, it's part and parcel of your persona. Uh, I, I look, you know, copy blokes don't uh, don't get too far. Mm. A bit, you have to be a little bit uh, uh, humble 
and and gracious. That's what sport's all about, isn't it? You get beaten. Barash used to tell us that. Yeah. You know, shake him by the hand and, and accept that he was too good for you. And under your breath, you say, I'll get you next time. And if you won, you shake him by the hand and say, and hope he, that he can respect the fact that you've won that day, but not necessarily do you win all the time. That's a, it's, a great, it's a great game. It's a great level. It's a great teacher. Sport in general is fantastic from that point of view, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. It's a positive reflection of society in many ways. We're speaking with former Channel 7 commentator Ian Robertson. I'm loving these stories, Robbo. If you've got time, I just want to ask you about the commentators, some of the other commentators you've worked with, some who may not probably get the credit today that they deserve. Firstly, Peter Landy, what was he like to work with? Because on camera, he seemed like a very serious fellow, but he had a sense of humour, didn't he? A wry sense of humour. Oh yeah, Peter was uh, Peter was good value. I mean, I, th- I think Peter eventually got a bit carried away with his own importance, right? And that's putting it quite bluntly. Really? Uh, and he might he might admit that to you himself. Hmm. But he was a good commentator. He had a little bit of uh, uh, excitement all the time in his voice. You, uh, he was a, he was a professional. He was employed full time by the Channel Seven, yep. as distinct from us, who were you know we came and did the football and then went and did our job. It's a bit like, uh, you know, how, how playing for, for a football team today has changed from when I was playing. You know, I had to, I had to uh, hold down a proper job. Yeah. Um, uh, and, and that's changed. But, no, Peter was pretty good. I mean, look, they were all good value. They were all, I could tell you a little story about, um, I ran into Wolsey the other day. We had a bit of a yes. reunion, about five or six of us up here at uh, the, a hotel in Belan, and... Uh, I said to Walls, he, uh, you know, he had a, a very famous incident when he was coaching Brisbane, and uh, I think he was relating. Or I, I asked him about uh, that young boy Shappy, Josh Shappy. Well, his father played with Brisbane. His name, I think, his name was Lawrence. Lawrence, that's right. Lawrence Shappy, and he said, "Oh no, no," he said, "You got the wrong bloke. It was, uh, oh, his name just escaping me." Shane Strimple, was it? Shane Strimple, yes. Well, Wolsey's, uh, you know, he's telling a story about, uh, uh, he, he, look, I thought he was going to bash me in the, in the streets <laughs> of uh, Service Paradise the night we did the commentary. It was Bernie and Sandy and myself. Yeah. And Bernie started, had a bit of a chuckle, so he put his finger on the cough button. And uh, Sandy looked at me and he said to Bernie, come on, you know, you've got a bit of a smirk on your face. Uh, he took the finger off the cough button, and Sandy said, "What, he, what have you got to say for yourself?" And Bertie, Bertie couldn't go on with it because he wasn't the sort of bloke that he wasn't critical of anyone. He, he knew the game was pretty hard to play, and he understood they were all doing the best they could. But this one particular occasion, when Sandy put it on him, he said, "I'm, I'm having a little bit of a chuckle, a little bit of a smirk, because I don't think that man wearing the number." 23 or 16 jumper for Brisbane has got any idea about what this game is all about. Mm. And that just happened to be this boy, uh, Strimple. Anyway, uh, uh, that didn't go on for much longer because but Wolsey heard about it. I'm yeah. sure he heard about it because he saw us in the street. He'd surfaced that night and he walked up to, well, he wasn't going to hook Bernie because Bernie with Brownlow medalist, 360 games. And I thought, well, I'm safe. I played with him and I thought, hang on, I'm the one he's going to hang one on. 
said he's just clenched him. I was a bit wary of him, but uh, anyway, I reminded him of it the other day when I saw him, and he just had a bit of a chuckle. But uh, that's what football's about. You know, like, they're all having a go. They're all trying their hardest, but sometimes they have an ordinary day. And that particular day nearly nearly finished up with the... Well, I nearly copped the black black eye <laughs> over someone else's commentary on what happened. So you've got to be careful, don't you? Well, that's right. I suppose you're representative of the commentary team in many ways. I also just wanted yeah, to yeah. ask you about Bruce McAvaney because you had a great partnership with him on a Friday night when Friday night football was really a brand new or relatively new concept at the time during the 1990s. Big crowds, big audiences as well. How was the yeah. partnership with Bruce? And did you ever get nervous for some of those big occasions in front of what you knew was a big TV audience? No, not really. I, I, look, Bruce was great to work with. Bruce was, a, you know, people say, what, what were, what's his key attribute? Well, I said, well, he was accurate. He knew exactly what was going on. Um, not he, he, didn't, he never ever played at that level, but uh, he left it to the special comments bloke mm. and uh, myself to a certain degree. And... Um, and, and he called the game as accurately as anyone would have. I mean, Tometi is the same. You know, Tometi did play. Yes. He didn't play a few games in Perth. Didn't play many games in Melbourne, but uh, he understood a fair bit about, you know, what had to be done on the football field. I mean, look, this, the game is not easy. And I said to someone, we did boundary line jobs when we, when we weren't in the commentary box, and I said, that's the place to be. Down on the boundary line, you can't get inside the fence. So you're, at, you're, you're on the supporter's side of the fence. And just listen for when there's a crunch of players as they run across the boundary line. Mm. And then you'll pick up just how tough the game is, how tough they are. I mean, the game has changed a little bit. I thought the best period was when Dermot played. I think Hawthorne were, uh, well, they were just about, Dipper said, they didn't wake up on Saturday morning to wonder whether they were going to win. They woke up on Saturday morning wondering what they were going to win by. <laughs> and they, they were that confident about their ability, and they were a great side. I think Hawthorne of that era was the best, the best team that I can recall. And um, but getting back to toughness, uh, you know, the game is it's it's a it's an oval ball that doesn't bounce in your favour all the time. Sometimes, you know, well, you, Geelong and MCG and anywhere you go interstate, they're all played outdoors. The only time you get cover is here at uh, uh, the stadium and at Spencer Street Station. You know, if you know the know the uh, the sponsors, it's Marvel, isn't it? So, yeah, Marvel. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, but uh, most of the time, it's played outdoors. Well, the wind, the rain, uh, whether whether it's dewy. Uh, you know, all of these circumstances alter alter that, uh, that that little oval thing that you're trying to chase, and then you've got you haven't got 18, but you've got quite a few blokes around that don't want you to get it. So the game's not easy, and uh, you know, I've said to people, you know, the easiest thing in the world is to be a be a past player and sit in the comfort of your lounge room seat, because all you do is just find mistakes. Well, it's easy to find; they're making mistakes. But you might, as well, you might as well keep quiet because someone must have said that about you when you were playing too. Well, that's it. Games, games. It's, it's, a, it's a fantastic game. It's a unique game. Uh, I don't know how we'll ever get back to Dermot Burton's days. Mm. You know, where you know everyone loved a, a, a big clash. What about him? He, 
He had the arrogance to run through the Essendon huddle out at Waverley. Do you remember that? <laughs> During the I mean, half-time, he, quarter to, three-quarter time break, that's right. Billy Duckworth was with him, wasn't he? I think, and, and he just followed Billy Duckworth through the huddle. Billy stopped, and Dermot just crashed his way through and as if to say, well, you know, if you want to put the huddle between me and the Hawthorne huddle, well, that's your, that's your problem. And, and, and he's, he's a fantastic bloke now, older, understands, and, and doesn't try and talk about football the way he played because lots of things have changed. Mm. But, um, you, you know, the, the days of when they were on top, what was that probably? Uh, it, wasn't, it wasn't the 80s. It was, yeah, it was probably the 80s, wasn't yeah. it? The 80s. When they 80s into Essendon, the early 90s, yeah. Essendon and Hawthorne played in about oh, three or four grand finals in a row, didn't they? 83, 84 and 85, that's right. Three, was it? Yeah, yeah. That's and they were all pretty good games. And then at 90, uh, what, what was the game where, 89, where... You uh, called that game. Mark, yeah, Mark Yates bowled in over at the start. Uh, I did hear a story. I don't know whether there's any truth in this, but uh, uh, Blighty had something to do with that because Dermot bowled a bloke over up at Princess Park. Uh, I think... Uh, in round Hawthorne six. were playing the home games, yeah. And I, I think uh, it was in Blighty's, in the back of his head and... Uh, he reckons he didn't say anything to Mark Yates, but uh, <laughs> and I don't know Mark Yates. I can't say one, one way or the other, but uh, gee, he didn't mess around, did he? he just, there was a beeline in between Mark Yates and Dermot, and that was the end of it. And then Dermot courageously gets up and kicks a goal within, uh, well, I'll say five or six minutes, but it seemed to be pretty well yep. straight away when he was moved f- further up into the forward line. And... Uh, but that was that was enormous football, you know. That was when uh, I mean Colin Robertson he bowled Tim Watson over in the final one day, and uh, yep. uh, you don't quite know whether uh, concussion is going to stop all of that. Concussions are going to make people weary of their young people playing football, and uh, um, oh, I'm tipping. I mean, I might not might not be around to see it, but. Uh, I think they've got to consider helmets for these kids. They, they, they wear helmets in lots and lots of other sports. And if concussions are such a serious thing, I think they've got to try and protect these kids from, uh, particularly if you want them to go hard at the football all the time with uh, the possible result of uh, brain damage. I mean, what would you do? You, 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 if you've got young children, young boys, and you want them to be protected as best they can. Well, that's right. Did you ever get concussed, Robbo? And the way they treated it back when you were playing, vastly different to today, as we know. Uh, I ran into Carl Dickrich once. I ran into Brian Roberts once. I must Ouch. have been blind. I kept running. You know, they were big <laughs> blokes. But, uh, yeah, oh, yeah. Uh, but, well, who knows? I mean, I'm at the moment, I'm going all right. I, you know, I've had a couple of little health problems, but uh, has it anyone at uh, at my age? I'm I'm 75. You know, like when you said 25 years, I was 50 when that football match was played out at Waverley that we were talking about earlier. Yeah. And it doesn't seem like 25 years. It's 25 years. It's just gone so quickly. So any if there are any 50 year olds out there, enjoy yourself now because the 25 years will disappear before you know where you are. That's right. It certainly does go quicker as the years go on. Just a couple more before I let you go, Robbo, and really appreciate your time tonight. No worries. The 89 grand final that you mentioned, I mean, it's one of the greatest games of all time. You were in the commentary box that day with Dennis Committee and Don Scott. Don, of course, a former Hawthorne champion, as we know, and a very eccentric personality as well, Don Scott. He was very entertaining to listen to. 
What were your memories of calling that game in front of a big audience as well? And was that the greatest game you ever saw, at least in your calling career? Yeah, it probably would have been. I mean, uh, we went overseas at the end of it, and the the Hawthorne blokes all all admitted that if the game had gone a little bit longer, um, Geelong would have won Mm. um, because they, they were running on empty. They had two or three or four injuries. I think mean, Dipper was in trouble. Uh, Dermot was lucky to survive it. And, and Darren Pritchard, they said, was the only running player that they had to uh, to keep getting the ball to. So it was a tough game and it was uh, it was the... Uh, well, they were in front at the end. I mean, I've been, I've been um, not ridiculed, but reminded of the fact that uh, at quarter time or thereabouts, I, I said something along the lines of uh, Geelong are not in it. Mm. Well, the score was stupid. The score was 10 goals or 9 goals to 1 or Correct. something like that. And um, and they fought back. I mean, you know, you've got to take your hat off to Geelong that day. And Blighty was, uh, was <laughs> look, he won two with Adelaide, but gee whiz, he had a couple of chances with Geelong. And you'd have to say uh, that game, they were, uh, well, they weren't stiff. They had every opportunity, but uh, it was such a good game you didn't really. You had to acknowledge the winner, but you felt a little bit sorry for the loser. And 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 Geelong were enormous. I mean, uh, they kept coming and kept coming and kept coming, and uh, it was just entertaining. It was a high-scoring game. Everybody got value out of that. I would have thought it was rugged. Um, it was it, like Dipper. Uh, I think Dipper Dipper finished up with uh, lung a uh, punctured lung or something. Almost he, died. Yeah, and um, uh, as I said, Dermot was uh, was bowled over at the start. It just it had plenty. It had plenty. It had uh, lots and lots of uh, great football uh, skills, but a lot of tough incidents as well. And if 110,000 people go to the MCG for a grand final, I don't think you could have seen much better. I completely agree with that. Just two more before I let you go. We're speaking with former Channel 7 commentator Ian Robertson. You spoke before about going overseas with the Hawthorne players. Of course, back in those days, you had the Foster's Cup and you basically, as a commentary team, didn't you get to travel overseas to various areas? I can remember watching a clip of you online on the internet with, I think it might have been with Peter Landy at a stadium in Canada. You also got to go to London, I think, from memory, the US. Do you recall those days where you actually travelled overseas? Because... It's probably a pertinent thing to ask, given we can't really go overseas and travel for a very long time no, due to COVID. No, no, no. They were fantastic. I really enjoyed them. That day we went to Canada, or that time we went to Canada, that was like four teams. Two went to uh, Miami. It was Essendon and uh, Hawthorne, and yep. Melbourne and Geelong went to uh, Toronto. And the two winners played for what they, they billed as the World Championship of AFL in London. And... Um, uh, I think Essendon beat Hawthorne, I think, and then Melbourne uh, I think Melbourne beat Geelong and Melbourne and Essendon played in London. I'm not sure who won that game, but uh, I know you, you've got to know a few. The players are a little bit better. You know, the, the players of the day, um, they went their way at after-match entertainment. You didn't get much of a chance to talk to them if you even went into the... Pre- we went into the president's area after after the football but the players all joined in and had their little social activities. But on those trips, you got a chance to talk to a few of the blokes, and uh, it was a, it, to me uh, like having having been in their position myself, 
uh, a few years earlier, it was just a great chance to, you know, realise that, uh, well, you, you're trying to convey to the players that you're not a monster, you know, you're not, you're not their enemy as a, as a commentator. Uh, you did play a little bit and you understood the, the, the strains of, of playing, stresses and strains of playing, and you just got to know them a little bit better. You know, there was a beer in the bar or there was a, a couple of beers in someone's room, uh, you know, at, late at night. It was just they were great trips. So I, I had a trip to uh, London when, um, oh, that was an interesting incident. Uh, <laughs> um, Collingwood, um, Collingwood won the flag in 1990. Correct. And uh, it was a very tight last round in the $10,000 award at Channel 7. And I did uh, North Melbourne versus Collingwood at Waverley. Yes. And Collingwood won comfortably and there were some good players. And I was uh, still very raw. So I ran, ran in my votes and I gave, uh, I gave Graham Wright, Shane Morwood and Gavin Brown, I think. And I left Darren Mullane out. And Darren Mullane was a good player, don't get me wrong, but they, they, they beat North Melbourne by a comfortable margin. Anyway, Bob Davis was at the uh, Footscray game, and Terry Wallace and uh, uh, Darren Mullane were, I think they were level going into that last round in the $10,000 award, and Bob Davis, was he was too smart for me. He rang up and said, what's the circumstances? And they said, oh, uh, it's a dead heat at the moment. Uh, uh, he says, what, well, what happened with... Um, Malane and I said, oh, Robbo hasn't given him a vote. So he gave Terry Wallace two votes and he won the $10,000. So that wasn't too bad. I mean, I didn't think much more of it. But three weeks later, I was in London for this end-of-season trip and uh, I heard Darren Malane at one stage we're going back to the airport when we were leaving and I heard him say to one one of the guards or one of the security people, where's the toilet? And I needed to go too. So I went, I just followed him and I'm standing up at the urinal, and uh, he's looked at me, and I'm, you know, I'm just wondering. I'd forgotten all about it, but he said, uh, he did swear, and he said, "You, B, and D, and there's about seven letters in it. <laughs> Why didn't you give me a vote in that game against North Melbourne?" And I thought, oh, I, I think I'm dead here. I think he's <laughs> going to push me into the urinal, give me a whack down the ear. But he was just joking, you know. He was. He was, he was a really good person, Darren Mullane. That was a sad thing. And he was, uh, you know, he unfortunately left us through... Uh, 30 years ago. Uh, through a, yeah, terrible, terrible, terrible. Just at, at the peak of his, his life. And uh, unfortunately, he, he, met, uh, he met a sad ending. But um, that, I thought I was going to meet a sad ending that night. But uh, <laughs> anyway, nothing, nothing happened. But uh, he was just having a bit of a chuckle there. They're all in good spirits, a whole lot of them. They're, they all like to have a bit of fun. There's a few rat bags over the years, but they're all pretty good kids playing football. They're all good kids in Australia playing sport. I, I encourage everyone to play sport. Yeah, absolutely, and I think that's a message yeah. echoed by a lot of people, Robbo. I don't yeah. know if you have ever mentioned this publicly, and I'm happy for you to basically tell me to mind my own business, but why did you actually leave commentary in the end? Because I can remember you were with Channel 7 right up until they lost the rights at the end of 2001. You were actually part yeah. of the inaugural Fox footy team in 2002. I remember you called a game between Carlton and West Coast in the middle of that year where West Coast won by a point. And... I don't think I heard you very much after that. Uh, was there a reason behind it? Did you feel that you've achieved everything in the caper and that's why you left? Or um, what was the reasoning behind your departure, I guess, as a commentator? Because you were much loved, as we know. 
I'll just say a couple of things. There was a bloke named Rick McKenna in charge of Fox Footy mm-hmm. with uh, um, Gary Fenton from Channel 7. Yep. Um, and uh, Rick, uh, look, I think Rick McKenna had uh, Clinton Gribus in his sights from 3AW. Yes. But Clinton Gribus couldn't get out of his contract and he had to wait for another year. So I would say, um, and I, I don't know of, I wouldn't speak to Rick McKenna if he knocked on the door. Right. So that tells the story there. Yeah. But um, uh, when when Clinton, unfortunately, you know, he met a very, yep. an awful end, which was sad. Um, but at the end of that year, uh, Oh, I think I was allocated a couple of games, and um, you know, look, it, it was just along the lines of I thought I was more important than I was, according to him, and uh, never the twain shall meet. I was uh, not used very much in the first six, in the first half of the season, and then I organised to go away for a weekend because I wasn't being used and. They made a, an issue of forcing me to stay in Melbourne to cover the football. I, I said, well, you haven't needed me for the best part of seven rounds or six rounds or whatever. So it, was, it, wasn't, very, um, it wasn't very amicable at all. Right. Um, I've lived on with not too many concerns about it, but I'll never, ever forget a bloke named Rick McKenna. Okay, and um, just in terms of what you've done after football and involved, being involved in commentary, how are things going at the moment uh, in general? Obviously, with lockdown as well, uh, that's made things very tough for everyone. How are you going along with it, uh, just to finish off? And over the last 20 years, what have you been up to? Oh, look, I'm, I'm now, uh, I've finished work and uh, I'm 75 and had a few little health hiccups, but... Uh, Apart from, I mean, you know, we all have them, don't we? Mm. When you get to a certain age, and you just hope that it's uh, it's not final. Mine have been, uh, you know, just normal men's men's things, and I'm living in uh, well full retirement in Balan, near between Lovely Melbourne spot. and Ballarat, or short of Ballarat. Freezing cold and raining tonight. You wouldn't <laughs> want to be here tonight, I can tell you. But uh, it is. I think I think it's like that everywhere. But uh, uh, just a bad time. It's winter, so we cop it sweet. But um, no, I, 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 I live and, and, and keep in touch with... Uh, I've got, uh, what have I got, three and three or six, uh, seven grandchildren that uh, I like to try and keep in touch with. Brilliant. I, I, I do watch a bit of the football, but I'm, I'm not absolutely convinced. Uh, uh, you know, if Barassi was coaching Carlton today, I think he'd, he'd have some fun. He'd have a lot of fun. <laughs> because uh, they've got some kids with a lot of ability, but I don't think they play with... Uh, it, it appears like they don't play with the, the desperation that's needed to win anything, any sort of a football game. Whether you're playing 1969 or 2019, you've got to be desperate and you've got to, you just have to be really, really involved. I mean, admit that the bloke might be too good for you, but make it difficult for him. You know, if you're not good enough, just make it difficult for him. And if 18 blokes did that, you'd never get thrashed. And they do play like that. They play they play desperate football, but uh, not enough of them collectively, I don't think. 
Yeah. So that's my only, you know, watching watching Carlton. I think as a past player, you just get a bit frustrated. I love to watch Footscray play. You know, I've played a couple of games there, and I love to watch them. I take my hat off to Bond and Pally, and uh, you know, I think they've got some really good young players over there too. Uh, the young boy Norton, Norton is it? He's a full forward. Yeah, Aaron Norton. There he's, he's, he's a he's a good type, and. Uh, I'd, I'd, if I was involved at Footscray, I'd get that kid wearing number six to cut his hair. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I do sound. I'm telling you now, I know I'm, I'm too old. I'm too old, but anyway. Oh. Now, it's interesting because in the 70s, a lot of players used to wear the long hair. But, uh, yeah, I suppose yeah. it's one of those different things. Hey, uh, Rob, I really appreciate your time. I've loved the stories that you've told over the years and as a I remember as a young boy watching you on Channel 7 back in the day, absolutely loved your commentary. I think you're entitled to be proud of your career as a commentator and also as a player. And uh, it was great to hear your memories of the night the lights went out. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Five years ago this week. Hard to believe that yeah. amount of time has passed. Appreciate your time once again, mate. No, no, it's a pleasure and I love talking about footy. I think you can, get, you can gauge that. And uh, if I can help in any way with, uh, with anything to do with history of uh, of Australian football. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals, all thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply. Well, uh, I will. I'll, I'll, I'll keep doing it if I can. Sometimes needing new tyres can catch us by surprise. That's why tyre power gives you the power of zip pay and zip money. You can get what you need now, get back on the road safely and pay for it later. Terms and conditions apply. So visit tyrepower.com.au or call 13 91